Washington, clear. Southwest 8504. Southwest 8504. Mark, do you have our uh, flight plan off, or do we need to uh, have dispatch refile for it? Welcome to part two of the Urcha interview. Without delay, here we go. Oh, hey, you know something to mention, something maybe we should talk about really quick before we all start to go, is um, there's a whole pit crew training manual that goes along with the pit crew program. We tried to transition away a little bit from the PPP, although it's still online, and if pilots want to go buy it, the idea of the pit crew program is uh, it's a basic level of introduction that, let's say you want to help a guy out, and you want him to go home and learn the basic definitions of and parts of a helicopter and, you know, talk through the beginning maneuvers and how he's going to hover and things like that. The pit crew training program can actually be downloaded and printed or just downloaded from the Urchin website. And it takes a pilot through learning what a swash plate is, what a main shaft is, you know, what a tail boom is. And uh, then it talks through the beginnings of flight, you know, how you learn to hover, how you check your setup, you know, what to do if you crash, um, safety, all of those things, everything that you, you know, kind of need to get started in the general form or fashion. And it's a, it's a good starting point for, you know, getting somebody into the hobby. You can say, Hey, go to the Urcha website, check out the pit crew training program, look at that uh, manual. And then we'll talk about it next time we get together. And if you've got any questions, we go from there. So it's, it's not a complete training manual as it is a starting point for you and whoever might be your instructor. We are going to be updating it. Um, hopefully this year, because we wrote that training manual several years ago, and back then we, to give you an idea, it's a, it's an X5 with a fly bar on it. Um, and uh, part of the reason we did that machine at the time, because we were looking for a good helicopter that was cost-effective uh, and um, easily accessible, and Empire Hobby um, provided us with a discount. It was called the Urchin Mile to Wild Program. The idea was that you could take a helicopter and make it really nice and docile for a trainer, but still one that was good enough to once you got to a point where you could do 3D aerobatics, you could still do 3D with it. So the X5 was the mild-to-wild machine. And uh, we're going to be rewriting the manual with a little more updated information. Of course, there won't be a flybar machine anymore. And um, we'll probably have another model or two that are kind of a good recommended Urcha-level, um, entry-level product. And whenever we do this, we don't necessarily do it for any particular brand promotion. What we do is we internally talk about it and go, you know, what do we think is a good first-time model that is cost-effective, is pretty reliable, um, and it's, you know, easily purchasable out there by most anybody. And so those are some of the basic criteria that we go by. So it, it may not be the machine that everybody thinks is perfect, but we think it's probably the best general machine. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't a whole great selection of first-time machines, but the manual is not big enough to put, you know, eight different companies' machines in. So, <laughs> so we use it as a model. Um, but it's a good first place to start. And, uh, you know, if there's anybody out there that wants to give us input on what they think should be in the, in the manual as we change it over, we'll be happy to try to include that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I actually looking through the manual a bit here, and it sounds like uh, Mike did as well. Good stuff in here. Uh, you know, pictures are pictures, and I think we could imagine it without the fly bar. But, um, yeah, we, we, actually, we, we could just go in there and digitally remove the fly bar. <laughs> That'd be a lot of work compared to just taking some new photos. Some new photos, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, it's just, it's great 
too. I mean, I still have fun when you get somebody new in the hobby because it, they kind of some they will reignite your passion for the hobby. I mean, if you've been doing it for a long time, sometimes you're not as dedicated. And if it gets cold, you don't go out anymore. If it's too hot, you don't go out anymore. But you get a new guy, and if you remember back when you were new, you wanted to go fly all the time. If it was 20 degrees, you'd go fly. If it was 105, you wanted to go fly. Um, so it, it's great for us to get new people in because not only does it bring those new people in, it also reignites our passion in the hobby. Sure does. The general growth curve of the hobby, and you know, my opinion, and some of our uh, some of the other guys' opinions are, it's not such a burst of a bubble as it is a normalization of the hobby in general. Yes, um, yes. We had, we had a false growth curve. It, it, our hobby was not naturally that popular. <laughs> we just—it's not. We're we're more of a, a unique uh, type hobby. But because of all of the bind and fly, tiny back, backyard flyer stuff for so many years, we had an artificially inflated growth curve. I, I think uh, the analogy just came to my head is the movie Weird Science. You know, those two boys weren't that popular. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't that popular. Uh, yeah. No, I, you know, we used to see tons of programs on TV, you know, motorcycle build offs, and, and, you know, there's a whole show dedicated to. Go motorcycles 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 you don't see any of that anymore no but i i still have um you know a core group of coworkers and friends who motorcycles are a significant part of their life and they don't they don't trailer their stuff around that's that is a significant part of their life uh you know my my boss from my, my day job he's ridden his motorcycle from all the way to alaska and back i'm like good lord um yeah as it's a big part of his life well, and the other thing too is, um, you know, if you really truly enjoy the hobby, how can you support it? Well, you can support it by traveling to events, going to events, supporting clubs that are hosting events, so that those events can grow and attract more people into the hobby. I mean, it's a, it's a complete circle. If yeah. uh, you know, we used to have, there was a huge traveling group for so many years that traveled all over to events. I mean, in the South, we had. My event in Chattanooga was almost 100 pilots before we lost our field. Uh, Huntsville has been over 100 pilots. Um, Birmingham, over 100 pilots. Um, and then you went to when OHB started, and they got up near near 300, I think-ish pilots. They went over 300 a couple years ago. Over 300, okay. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we had all of these events that were huge for so many years, and then as the hobby lost a little bit of its shine, um, people generally lost their enthusiasm. Yeah. So was it that the pop, the hobby itself became a, you know not as popular, or was it because the people didn't think it was popular, so they didn't go anymore to the events? So then a lot of the events have lost their size. So you know Birmingham now is not as big as it used to be, and Huntsville is holding on pretty steady to their numbers, but I don't think they're at the same peak they were you know five years ago. But then even OHB dropped off over the last two and three years. So it's been a natural cycle for all of these events to kind of cycle back to where they were about seven years ago. I, I agree with you. I agree with you on the cycling. The, the interesting thing has been for us at Fredericksburg is, um, I know our spring event, I think I, I first got in this hobby and we were on our second year and, um, I think it had about 25 pilots. Uh, last year's spring event was, uh, over, I think we hit 125. Well, and, and you have to think, you're the new girl in town. 
you might not be you might not be as pretty as the other girls that have been there for a while, but you're the new girl in town, so you're a little more interesting all of a sudden. Yeah, and that, that's the way events tend to work. Is the you know the ones that have been around for a long time start to lose their their zest, and then all of a sudden a new one pops up, and and that's what we need though. We need these new events to pop up. A we lot of to- yeah, agree yeah. Um, a lot of what I see is it's very personality driven. Um, you mentioned earlier that you went to Clint uh, Aiken's birthday bash, and surprisingly, uh, Mike and my Mike and I and, and and our friend Casey, we actually went for two years. We we threw everything in the van, took a selfie of that thing, packed to the gills, and, and I am a, the king of Tetris. Yeah, no. <laughs> we made a run for Clint's place in Georgia. The weather was warmer. It's like yes, let's do yeah. it. Um. But that event is 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 very little known amongst new guys of the hobby, but is very well known for for guys and gals who've been around the hobby for a longer time. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I, I'm happy to see like uh, CP Helly's you know, Facebook group uh, promoting smaller events and and making noise. And there's new personalities uh, creating events. I, I wish I could get to all of them. I think but, it is great that they're doing it. I I wonder if they could get a slightly smaller title. <laughs> I think I said something to one of their guys. It's like that's an awesome idea. I said, but that whole title is kind of long. How are you gonna get that on shirt? Uh, you know, and and I still don't want to tell the story of how this of how this podcast got named, but I will I will say that one of the requirements was is it was short enough that it could be said in passing and people would know. Right. You know, like like clubs usually have acronyms for names or or short names. You know. Orlando Heli Blowout, big name. OHB is what we what we all know it as. Right. Uh, the Jamboree. Yeah. That's his name, but everyone knows it as Urcha. As Urcha, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, and it's funny because Urcha is the organization. The Jamboree yes. is the event. Yes. But and, but so many people just associate with Urcha as just being an event, and that's that's been one of the the difficulties that as long as I've been a part of the organization, that the organization has always dealt with that. The organization was, has been, and will always be more than just an event. Um, but, like you said, people know it as an event. Yeah. Um, you know, it was funny. I, I've, I've told people, like, hey, I'm going to the Jamboree. I'm like, go to the Jamboree. What's the Jamboree? Yeah. yeah. Go, go to Urcha. Oh, yeah, dude, that's yeah. the best. <laughs> like, what? But, but, when you, but when you spell it out, you're going to the International Helicopter, Inter- International Radio Helicopter Association. Okay. <laughs> Wait, what? 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 Yeah. Or, or or if you tell them you're going to the the IAC, the Internet, what is it, International Aeromodeling Center. No, I'm going to AMA. I'm going to AMA. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny how that happens. What's it, funny you know, is I... Sorry. Go, go ahead. I was saying, like, uh, I joke around with uh, some people at work, and, uh, like, when it's getting time to go to Urcha, I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to Urcha this week, and they're like, the hell is that? Like, uh... International Regulatory Helicopter Association. They're like, the hell is that? It's just funny to hear their expressions. Yeah, see, I, I work in the medical community, and so I'll say AMA sometimes, and of course people will think I'm saying the American oh, Medical Oh, sure, system. yeah. So, yeah. I'm I, to AMA. It's a different AMA. I, I think the, the you know, for, for people who listen to this, the if you're thinking about making events, think about what the short name's going to be. People ask me and I tell them I'm just going to that awesome helicopter frat party in Muncie. Yeah. Well, you know, that actually brings up an interesting thought. 
the Jamboree is over the years has transitioned so much more from just a helicopter event to a large social gathering. So it's not just about going there to fly now as it is to go and hang out with people you've not seen in a year or friends that you, you know, gathering for a party. And that, I know a lot of guys that go just for that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of people that go that don't even fly that come and just sit up and hang out in their RVs and are there to just, just to hang out and talk and watch. And, uh, that is probably one of the greatest things that I've, I've seen over the years. I mean, in, we see people who come in their first time, and there is nothing like being greeted at the end of the event by a first-timer who notices one of our blue shirts or blue hats and just comes up and says, this was incredible. Thank you guys for all that you do. Um, I mean, and, and for all the hard work and the exhaustion that we deal with as the week goes along, seeing the happiness um, that people have, you know, because you know, everybody's got crazy lives. You know, some people may have a bad year, maybe a hard year at work or a hard year with family or whatever, but for one week they get to be kids and play with toys. And in my mind, there is nothing better as a grown adult man. They get to go away for a week and play with a toy. Very fun. I, Very relaxing. There is only one word and it is golf cart. Yeah. Golf. <laughs> oh, if you guys want to know one of the banes of our event, <laughs> golf carts. We have had so much damage done over the years. Oh, I've seen it. We one year we wrote over an over two thousand dollar check for corn damage. Um, we had a pilot from a, a team pilot for a company a couple of years ago literally run over and drag one of those really nice speakers. Oh man! Oh, he did, and those speakers cost a thousand bucks a piece. Yep. Um, and we had somebody run straight into the AMA um, AMA uh, barn, literally right into the side of the barn, <laughs> and up it, not just into the side <laughs> of it, up the side, like up it. Um, we had. Wow. Some, didn't somebody rip out the underneath of one jumping it? Thing? Yeah, yeah. Somebody, uh, somebody turned in. A golf cart the next morning while the golf cart people went and picked it up and the entire front steering rack suspension ripped right off it was gone wow yeah i have been party to some relatively interesting nighttime events yeah oh golf yeah. carts and people people a lot of times people ask us you know why is it we have one particular group of yeah why is there one golf cart vendor <laughs> and the one of the biggest primary reasons is when I first started with the organization, we had to pay for all of our golf carts. And the bill that we paid for go our golf carts was like five grand for the week for all the carts we needed for everything. So we decided to come up with a plan that we would go into an agreement with one golf cart vendor. Being the sole vendor, they would provide the Urcha staff with the carts that we needed for free. Um, and so that's the biggest reason we do the golf cart thing. And also, the secondary reason is... If the golf cart vendor is on site, they are responsible for any golf cart issues. So if somebody's acting up on a golf cart, they will come and take your golf cart from you. Um, so it, the safety issue doesn't fall back on us at that point. The golf cart company actually has the right to come and take the golf cart and impound it. And they have. They have oh, actually, yes. in the past, they go up, they take their little uh, take their little tow truck, and they tow away your golf cart. And that's happened several times when they catch people nice. with things they shouldn't do. I want to see the towing cart. 
Oh, it's it's pretty embarrassing too when you have a little mini golf cart tow truck come up and tow your golf cart. Yeah, that'd be cool. I didn't see that. Oh yeah, that's that's happened, and it, we you know it's. I think one of the funniest things we ever had happen was the golf cart issue with uh, with corn. Um, the year that that happened, we caught a kid coming down the main road at site four, dragging corn stalks <laughs> behind his cart. Take like, bro, come on. Yeah, we were holding like, the corn. Yeah, we, and we said that. We said, "Where were you?" I was just driving back that way, you know, back this way. Said, were you in the corn, my fence? No, I was nowhere near the corn. <laughs> <laughs> what really? are those stalks dragging behind your cart there? Oh, I don't know where those came from. <laughs> and, and, or a scarecrow? Oh yeah, yeah. But um, oh the, no, the, there's. There are all kinds of stories that that have developed from that event over the year. To give you an idea of my first year experience with the event, the very first year I was there as part of the board, and one night we had two people suffer from alcohol poisonings um, and a trailer fire with nitro in it, and a woman oh. fell into uh, into tiki torches and set her hair on fire. Oh, this is the human torch you were telling me about. Yeah, that was that, that was that was in one year, and all that happened in one night. Whoa! What had happened was isn't that the same night that the guy shot shot the blimp with the shotgun too? Oh, shotgun was, guy. No, yeah, I heard about that one. That was, that was different. different this was, I haven't heard this yeah, stuff. This was back in my first year, like two thousand six, maybe. Oh, okay. Like my first year. Um, we we had a kid sneaking up on our golf cart out at midfield who was trying to make us drag him. <laughs> and uh yeah no I'm, I'm not making this up and we tried to make the kid go away and uh, it was myself brett walker and dave milner on a golf cart out at center stage we were just we were just driving up you know looking at things as the sun was setting just to see how everything was laid out thinking about what we would try to do next year as we were fully taken over as the organizing group and um then as we were talking we were just driving really slow um just a couple of minutes later the kid had snuck up as we were talking and didn't notice it. And we were dragging this kid <laughs> and we heard him kind of giggling. Of course I was like, stop. And so Walker stopped the car and we're like, you have to go to your parents, wherever, where, where are your parents? Go to your parents. And, uh, we waited until we saw the kid fully clear the main line. And then we finished the drive down, down the midway. And we came up back on the road and a buddy of mine from Chattanooga was there, and he pulled me off to the side, and he said, "Hey, I I just want to tell y'all they got the moonshine out." <laughs> <laughs> I told, being from the South, I'm accustomed to what happens when a bunch of Southern people get moonshine out. Oh boy! But Milner and Walker, living in the North, hadn't fully experienced a, a straight up moonshine evening. So I I said. It's going to be in our best interest just to take off our Urcha shirts and go into wherever our RVs are. And it was not more than an hour later. I had taken my shower. Fire trucks, uh, EMS, and police were all coming in a, in a train. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. And nice. I, I, I was, it was my first year. I was brand new. So I was like, hey, I don't know what to do. So I went up. <laughs> Does this happen every year? Holy crap. So this was the, yeah, I went up and knocked, I knocked on Milner's door. And Milner just peeked his head out the door. And he's, I said, uh, you need to come out here. And he said, 
he looked out, he looked at everything on. I'm not coming out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell no. <laughs> I said, I said, uh, you're technically president. Uh, and the other guy who was president is drunk, falling in front of the police and they're threatening to arrest him. So you need to come out right now. You need to help. <laughs> uh, and it's it, it just that night, just that's, that was the whole night. And it was funny because right as everybody was leaving, they took one person to the hospital. Um, the fire was out in the uh, trailer that was full of nitro as they were, as the, the lights, literally the EMS and everybody had not fully left AMA facility. Somebody down at the bottom of the field started setting off a bunch of fireworks. Make matters worse. Well, that was a dry year in Muncie because of all the fires. So there was no fireworks allowed. <laughs> so I had to go. When is there ever fireworks allowed? Oh, we never mind. Yeah. I had to go down and tell them like, Hey guys, the fire people haven't even left yet. Maybe we just don't do the fireworks tonight. But that was that was my first year on the board. And like Dan mentioned, we had one year where somebody had a little too much to drink and decided they didn't like uh, experience RC's you know large balloon, and so he he assaulted it with a shotgun late at night. <laughs> Wait, so was this like a like, like an RC uh, hot air balloon, or was it like just no, it, just like a it, balloon, it, like it an advertising one? Okay, okay. Ones, the ones that cost probably like a thousand bucks a piece or something. Good gosh. Yeah, like and, those ones that, you, that they have like a thousand foot string. Well, not that high, but like a couple hundred foot string big on string, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny. Uh, Monty Brock and I were we were over near the bathhouse area, and we were driving up that way and. Again, we live in the South, so we're accustomed to hearing gunshots on a regular basis just because of the country. And we're driving up through there, and we hear what we know is a gunshot. We're like, that was a gunshot. That's kind of close. Yeah. And so we head back up to center to the center stage area to find uh, Milner and, and a couple of the others. And it was right about that point that uh, Steve McFall comes up and say, hey, somebody just shot my balloon. <laughs> we were like, what? And sure enough, Monty and I went over there with some flashlights and we found nothing but buckshot all over the place. <laughs> shells, we found nice. shells right there. And so one had, shot. We had already started bringing cops on site um, to have security there at night. And so we had the cops come over and um, they found, uh, you know, nothing that they could definitively say who did it. And Stevie said, uh, well, I remember I could see a guy's shape and he was, you know, large and kind of overweight. And we we're like, well, that's a big percentage of the people that come here. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> narrow it down too much. Uh, and then we could see a shadow as one of the cops was talking to us. And um, they at the time said that oh, there's a trailer over there. We think this guy was near. And and um, Stevie starts walking or the policeman is over there kind of looking. And then all of a sudden there's this figure with a pretty big round belly walking toward that RV and uh, the guy sees him walking over and they start to question him. And Stevie said, I think that was who it was. And so the policeman at the time questioned him and they came back and told us, yeah, you know, there's nothing that really says we can uh, definitively say he's the one who did it and so on. And he's still watching the guy and the guy comes out from his RV and goes to his truck and then goes from his truck back to his RV. And the next thing we know the cop has lunged in the RV and throws the guy out of the RV. <laughs> the what? guy apparently gone into his trailer and grabbed his shotgun. Mm. And um, apparently he had gone to his truck. Apparently he was trying to hide the stuff is what the police believe. Wow. Yeah. But he had a handgun in his truck also. And so, so then, you know, 
they arrested him and took him off premises. And then of course the next morning AMA had to officially have him removed. And so it, wow. it was a, it was a, of course nobody was harmed and it was a situation where the, the poor guy was on, he had back injuries and was on pain meds and he had mistakenly gotten some drinks and it had exacerbated the whole situation. And he just decided he did not like that damn balloon. <laughs> and that was, that was evening. You should Take have that Steve McFall. <laughs> You should have more balloons. That way people have something to shoot at legitimately. <laughs> and you know what they're shooting at. Yeah, no. Or, 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 batteries. or take your helis and start, you know, flying into them. Well, I just know. need more 450 combat, clearly. Hell yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the, those are the things that we have to take into account every year when we're playing. That's why we typically have police and EMS, you know, EMS on site so that we've got somebody to fall to if we need it, something taken care of and... Um, you know, same thing with golf carts. I mean, we have to worry. I mean, golf carts themselves are dangerous enough, but those the large um, off-road type, you know, ATV vehicles. Um, oh yeah, yeah. We have people that all the time want to bring their personal vehicles up to there, and I don't care how good they say they're going to be with those vehicles. When it gets never dark, are. they get crazy. Um. I, we've never seen anybody yet who's been ultra responsible with it this late at night. They usually go a little too fast. And, you know, there's people walking around all over the place at night. So we just have to be careful. And that's why we have to have rules that, you know, you can only have golf carts on the field. You can't tear, tear the ground up with your big speedy vehicle. And it can get crazy, but it's fun. And I guarantee you, no year is ever the same. It's always different. Even if the schedule looks the same. It's different. <laughs> Everything behind the schedule is completely different. Um, and that's the exciting thing about doing events um, you know, for people that are interested in doing them. I, I would uh, I would say to a point you'd made earlier, uh, Charles, that you know after an event is over that I've helped with, yeah, there's, there's nothing better than seeing people just saying thank you. That was a great time. Oh, yes. Yeah. It, it is. And, you know, that's – that's why we're so appreciative to all the volunteers that come to the Jamboree. I mean, yes, the four of us come up with the plans and, you know, reserve things and, and all that jazz. But without all of the people there who are willing to help and, you know, man the golf carts and, you know, help us man the tables and, and do everything that everybody has to do. I mean, we couldn't do it. I mean, there, there's a board of four, but there's a crew of a hundred. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we have, we have, you know, the some of the hardest working guys at the Jamboree are, we call them the old guys. <laughs> Dan can tell you because he started out with those guys when he first volunteered. Yeah, absolutely. These, There's some so, local guys that fly out at that field all the time and they just support the event. Yeah. And wow. they, they, along with, uh, with a couple of others, they literally take all the tables by hand <laughs> And take them to all of the tents where the sponsors and the companies need their tables. And same thing with chairs. So they, they hand deliver all those. Wow. Yeah, I know last year we were there pretty late on Sunday and I saw them start uh, picking it all up. Yeah, and it, well, now the people who pick it up, luckily that's the company. That uh, we rent. Okay. Yeah, we don't have, thank God we don't have to do that. I mean, that would be painful because. Come Sunday morning, our number of volunteers shrinks to about zero. Dramatically, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's um, it's great until it's over and then there's nothing there. I mean, in the last few years, we've actually used the Sea Cadets um, in Muncie. 
just the local sea cadet group they come in and they'll help us police the area and take care of moving things around and we we donate money to their organization for coming in and helping us out so wow. it's a it's a win for us because we would not have the manpower to clean up um, everything and move the stuff that we need to move uh, without the sea cadets coming to help so they come in and do that but yeah volunteers That's awesome everything in the hobby really make the hobby i mean um without all of the guys that do things it just it would be impossible yeah and you know sometimes they may not get you know the full appreciation that they should get um but we try as often as we can to remember to thank them for the stuff that they've done to help out because they're just awesome incredibly important that's awesome very nice um you know, I got a uh, I got a question uh, to ask you guys for a new person that wants to um, for, let's say for the Nats, it's like the Nats competition. It's like that, especially this year with all the new stuff going on. If someone wants wants to participate, but doesn't feel like they're capable, uh, they, they have all the basic orientation down, but um, they, they want to try, but they just don't they don't have that last push. Uh, what would you say to those people that are at that edge of trying it and and not quite sure because I know for me, you know, Robert uh, Robert didn't just push me off; he, you know, Sparta kicked me off the edge. So, well, <laughs> no, I don't uh, I don't participate in the Nats. Um, I would like to get into it, but that's uh, that's a story for another time. Anyways, um, my theory on that is just go do it. Uh, nobody's ridiculing anybody. You got guys who who couldn't put a routine together to save the life, but they go out there and they try and everybody appreciates it. So you're not going to get, um, you're not going to get lynched for trying. Having done this for a long, or a long time now, I will tell you the part of doing it and having the fun is that you will get ridiculed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have not. That was actually one of the, one of the fun parts. Yeah, it is because I mean, you typically and guys in general, you know, you're accepted in the group when somebody's willing to bust your balls. That's just the way it is. Yes. And, yes. Yes. And, especially in this hobby, in, in this hobby, especially, I mean, and you, you know, you were part of the group and having fun when somebody's willing to just let you have it. That's the way it works. And the trick so, is you just let them have it back a little bit. So then change what I say to make the meaning a little better, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, nobody's going to, think you're wasting their time trying exactly that they, they, they right. want you to be there trying so yeah they do and the thing is even when you look at the pilots who fly f3c man they will screw up some maneuvers sometimes too and these <laughs> guys have been flying for you know 20 years some of them but sometimes you'll just pull when you should have pushed and it, all of a sudden the maneuver goes from okay to oh crap am i going to crash <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that when I um, you because you know last year was my first year starting, and it was, you know, I, I did it there. I did it. Uh, had the worst luck with wind coming at the worst time, but uh, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. Just uh, you know, just just learning about it. That's that's the only reason why. That's the main reason why I I did it, not to you know be the best, but or to do you know, but to try my best. You know, I'm not there to be the best. I'm there to try my best and learn. Uh, a new experience and 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 I've, I've learned a lot i you know the times where i was sitting down waiting for my turn i learned a hell of a lot uh just by talking to some of the older people there or the more experienced people there uh so it was definitely it was it was worthwhile i love it and that's that's exactly what you get from the, the competition style flying 
<clears throat> it gives you something to specifically practice. I mean, a lot of us that want to do uh, play with some 3D here and there. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Dude, awesome. <laughs> well, we just learned something about Dan. Apparently. From Mario. Let's go. Um, but that's what you get from competition style flying is that it, it gives you something to practice. I mean, for, for guys who you know, do a little bit of 3D here and there, it's all, you know, a freestyle doing this, flowing into this, flowing into that. But with precision, it's an exact maneuver. You you are judged based upon the exact components of that maneuver, and you know what those exact components are. Um, I, I call the 3D portion of our hobby the figure skating portion. I mean, whenever somebody's being judged in a 3D competition, you can put 20 judges, and 20 judges are going to see things 20 different ways. Right. But if you put somebody up doing the precision portion of the competition, F3C or F3N, the maneuvers have a specific set of criteria to be judged by. It's not as subjective as the pure 3D portion is. So it's a little more easy to know where you are in your skill set. I mean, can I perform that Cuban 8 rolling at this exact spot I need to roll at? Are both of my sides exactly the same height and shape? You know, are my down lines even and straight? And I think... Everybody who takes the time to practice just a little bit of the precision component in our hobby, it will give you a better skill set for your 3D. Um, like I said, I've never seen a pilot who hurts their flying ability by trying to compete in F3C or F3N. I, I would add to that, Charles. Um, AMA has lists for all the pilots who have participated in, in competition. And you can look that list over for the last two decades, and pretty much every name you know has been in competition in, in the AMA heli classes or F3C. Yeah. Um, every well, one of them. There's one that most people aren't, don't even realize is that when Alan Zabo was still a kid, he flew at the Nats mm -hmm. way back when. Yep. Um, so even Alan has had a precision component to his flying style. Yep. Um, and if you look at you know Nick Maxwell, who I – I would argue is one of our best all-around pilots in the hobby. I mean, he's one of the top precision and top 3D pilots currently in the USA. Um, Very. And it, it's just that style of flying, it mixes well with 3D. It gives you a precise component. And you can tell a, a pilot who competes in F3N or F3C, when they do their 3D flights, their maneuvers are more crisp and their transitions are better. Um, and it's just because they're used to being judged on the maneuver itself and transitions. It's it, like Mac, uh, I mean, Jamie Robertson is another great pilot to mention. I mean, you look at him and he's a top F3N competitor in the world. Yep. All of those guys, phenomenally great 3D pilots, but also great precision competition pilots. Um, and I think I mentioned early on, I mean, our hobby in general, it didn't start with 3D. It started with precision and scale. Those are actually the the building blocks of the entire RC helicopter hobby. Uh, back then, things didn't do 3D. They did scale, or when they got to the point, they could do precision, and that's that's where we came from. It's, um, you know, some would some would probably say it's hard to believe that's at the building blocks, and and I know uh, going forward to go backwards, um, I sat I sat down with Todd Bennett one day, and he had me doing hovering pirouetting really really slow. And it was really beneficial as I move forward 
uh, looking at, you know, flying Schedule P or, or in Schedule F of F3C, they have hovering, moving sections in it. And it's like, wow, you know, it's 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 a bedrock for 3D. And there it is in precision requiring it. And it really just goes to show that, yeah, precision and precision and, and those whole thing, you know, matters. It, it can it'll make you better. Oh, it is. And um, there's an example on that several years ago when. Align still sponsored the uh, Line Cup in Las Vegas, I mean, yeah. like seven or eight years ago. Uh, Dave Milner and I were judges for the precision component. They had two components. They had the freestyle 3D portion, and then they had a precision component. So we would judge the precision maneuvers. And I think there was like a, a top hat of some sort. There was like just a consecutive, like two consecutive rolls, or maybe just a roll. And um, I think one other maneuver. But you would be amazed at how ugly the maneuvers were from the majority of the 3d pilots who were competing most of them couldn't do a straight in competition role they they didn't know that the setup needed to be further in and out for the exit and entry points um typically they would enter the role with the nose down because they were trying to do it at a super high speed and uh it it, it was just funny but then you would see that the pilots who ended up winning the contest were the pilots who had also done some precision competition they they knew how to enter and exit and um to set up the maneuver so it's just in general, it, it's a great building block for anybody's skill set hobby, and um, it's it's something everybody should try. And no matter what contest you go to, I mean, there's a contest in um, Alabama. We may have a contest again in Chattanooga. You've got your contest in uh, in Virginia. I think Unger's going to have one in Ohio. Eaton has one up in New York, um, and then there's one in uh, Florida right now. I mean, pretty much precision competition flying is more on the east eastern portion of the u.s i don't know of any contests out on the west coast and probably a lot of that comes to the fact that when you go to the nats it's at ama in muncie so i tried to- I, I agree with you on that one i mean that's just looking at you know the the, the people who listen california has a huge section of heli pilots and uh i know i didn't want to put on a contest i mean i have i had you know cd rating but i didn't want to put on contest i didn't understand um, not many, not many guys from out west have seemed to come out and do the contest and take it home with them. But it'd be really cool to see it grow out west. Oh, it would be, yeah. And and you know, years ago, and this was way before I got in the hobby. The Nats actually traveled around. Um, yep. They had it in different parts of the country, and I think maybe back then it encouraged a more various group uh, to compete and participate. But you know, when they decided when they built the AMA facility in Muncie, from what I remember hearing. <clears throat> they looked at a location that within seven hours drive could accommodate 70% of the AMA membership. And so that's how they picked Muncie, Indiana. Hmm. I'm sure the price of corn land also figured into that. Somewhere, <laughs> but, uh, but that was the biggest reason they were looking at the place that could get the largest number of people in the U S. Um, and I think it does a pretty good job. I mean, you know, if you've never traveled to the AMA facility, you should, at some point in your life, if you're a hobbyist, go there, visit it, fly there. Um, you know, if you whether you fly fixed wing helicopters, gliders, whatever, um, go there and visit the facility, participate in something. Um, go visit the Model Aviation Museum. I mean, it it is incredible to see some of the old crazy stuff that was flown years ago. I got lost in there by all the the history in there. I was there for probably like three hours and oh, yeah. see everything. I, I love that. You know, and a lot it's, of people don't realize how many how many industry-leading professionals, aerospace, aviation, military, got their start 
in just model aviation. And um, there are pieces of that at the AMA facility. I saw yeah. the, was there, sorry, Rob. Go for it. Oh, uh, I, I didn't realize like the first ever type helicopters was literally a, a Cox engine with a prop on this weird looking rotor blade thing. I did not know that was literally the first. I mean, you just you started up and you let it go. That was did, it. did you? Yeah. Did you see in the AMA museum the that like looked like a hay reaper thing? Uh, they may have moved it since over the last couple of years, but one of the original things that took off that was an odd helicopter type design. It literally had this rotating round thing. It didn't look. It was not a, a head like we see now, but it it was tethered. And it would actually lift off the ground. It, it looked like it should never have flown, but it would lift it off. They have. I, mean, I took. I took a bunch of pictures. I'll have to look at the pictures. Who, uh, DePaulo, You may know the name. I ran into YouTube videos of 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 the VHS recording the the alternate. I think it was Sikorsky who's doing mo- uh, doing helicopters, uh, model helicopters, and went and helped Bell, or was it not Bell? Was the other Killer? Killer? Was, was it Killer? <laughs> Yeah, I, I caught I caught some of his stuff, and he was doing you know tethered helicopters, and he didn't have a multi blade design. He had a he had a two blade design. He was running in just all all the issues that come with a two blade design and balancing, and you know just running all this stuff. It was like, oh lord, this is you know yeah it, it, modeling modeling is how he fixed it. He's how he figured it out. Yeah, talking to Sikorsky, the man himself learned about well, not the original one, his son, because uh, over at UMD. Sikorsky aircraft. So they throw a lot of money into the human-powered helicopter project, so actual Sikorsky's, he's there sometimes, and he's a cool guy to talk to. Like, a lot of the old-school things they do before you had computer simulation, they just ghetto-rig models and yeah, <laughs> see they, if things actually worked or if they blew up or not. Yeah, they would just build some something and hope it either worked or didn't work. And like The math says it'll work. Let's see if it'll kill anybody. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the ingenuity that's come out of things, I mean, and you... Another another advantage if somebody decides to get into uh, precision flying is to skip back to that, talking about ingenuity. If you want to really know how to set up a machine and mechanically make it perfect and also work the components of your radio that you never knew how to work, you go talk to those guys. The people who do precision competition have been around for years. They're the masters of setup. Yeah. Models are absolutely perfect when they are finished with them. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I would a uh, firsthand experience. I completely agree with you, Charles. <laughs> I mean, even my model this year, um, I didn't have a chance to switch one of my models over to another flyballless unit I wanted to try. So Dwight Schilling, Tim, Tim DePerry coerced uh, Dwight into setting my model up for me on a new new setup, and you know it was pretty much hands off perfect when he was done with it. Better yeah. than I can run it. Uh, to a point you said earlier, everyone should try the AMA. Um, you know, one of the funny things that we don't think about is it is one it is one field we are all club members of. Yes, <laughs> we are all members. <laughs> so go fly the club you're a member of. <laughs> yeah, and I mean you can literally you can go there anytime. Um, there will be one field that is always guaranteed open to the public. Even if there's an event going on, there's one field that you can go fly at. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, agree. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's just amazing. I think probably some of the, the best times to see the facility are when you drive in early in the morning at the Jamboree and you got a little bit of a fog layer coming off the grass and yeah, you know, nothing's really going on just yet, but you know, chaos is about to break forth in an hour. 
<laughs> yeah. That was a good it's, feeling. It's, oh, it is. It's a crazy facility to go to. I mean, the first time I ever drove there, I you don't really have an idea of how big that much land is wide open until you drive there and just see nothing but mowed grass. Funny yeah. is, uh, for my first year, 2016, uh, I got there around 1130 at night. And all I see is when I pulled in the facility is the lit up facility. And then it's just road and I can't see anything. And I see these two little, um, they were doing a <coughs> spotlight one time and, um, they were spotlighting a plane, a little plane. So I see these like, okay, I'm going to have to go that way and just drive over there, parked there, went to bed, didn't think much of it. I see a few tents, wake up the next morning. I'm like, dang, this place is big. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You, you don't, and you don't realize that you show up in the dark. I think the first year I got there, I got there late too. You don't realize until you're there in the daylight. Like, holy crap! I and mean, it takes you a few minutes to drive from the front to the back. It it does. And yeah, uh, that's why I had to bring my stank bike with me, man. I wasn't gonna walk. <laughs> no one walks that thing. That's the reason why oh, no. golf carts are. I walk. Uh, you know yeah. the fun part is, stank bike smoked every golf cart. It yeah, did. Your bike was pretty bad, though. I'm gonna be building say. one this year. There's. I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure lung cancer rates in Muncie went up that year. <laughs> <laughs> don't hate the two-stroke man embrace the stain there's there's one cart that beats your bike though mike we don't talk about that cart that's not a real cart not it's really a lot <laughs> which one was it josh's 600 cc yeah. golf cart oh well, yeah that probably would <laughs> I down mean, the road. We, we use that engine for our formula car and he's stuck in a golf cart and i'm like this wow. thing's a death trap i took a ride in it i look over the side we're doing like fast i'll just say we're doing fast i get out and i look at the tire do not exceed 25 miles an hour i'm like that's great <laughs> well, that's, uh, uh, yeah i'm wondering that probably is about to come apart at any point yep hmm. oh there's play in the steering too the whole thing was just like the kind of wonderful death trap you take a ride on one time in life just to say you did it you know i was yeah. uh i was watching a video for the dodge um demon the dodge demon Oh and yeah. Apparently all the things you have to sign to take to buy and take that thing off the lot. And one of them is the tires. <laughs> How bad does it go? Does it burn the tires? Um, they're running DOT legal uh, drag radials on it and they're good enough to get the car to hook up and lift its front wheels off the ground. Apparently. Wow. And um, basically you got to sign warnings knowing they're not meant for, they're not meant for the. They're not meant for rain, and that if you drive them at highway speeds for a long time, uh, they'll heat up and wear out on the highway. Yeah, they're race tires. They're straight up race tires. Right. And the tread wear, the tread wear, tread wear rating on the sidewall is zero zero. Oh, yeah, it's a race tire, straight up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. on a uh, on another note. Um, what did you guys think about the changes at the Jamboree this year, like including the spotlights at center stage and stuff? Uh, how did everybody that seem to awesome. like that? That it was nice. That was, we, awesome. that was perfect. Yeah, I mean, we're we're biased already and come from a club has been running running spotlights for nighttime for years. And so I was really happy to see the Jamboree get the spotlights out there. Really happy yeah, to see it. What I liked about it was, uh, you know, it's such a big event. And you got these two uh, light towers there. And everybody, you get this big crowd there flying. It felt like, you know, it, it, it's a massive event, but it felt like a local small event. You got all these people around here. Some you you know, some you just met, but you now became lifetime friends. 
it just uh, it just it was a great uh, combination uh, at the event. I really personally liked it. It was funny. It's just you got these lights. It it looked even looked like a small event until so you woke up the next morning and realized it's only like you know a sixteenth of the field. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was when we talked about whether we could or couldn't do it. I mean, it's always been a you know, a question at the Jamboree, you know, what lights could be there. And, you know, AMA, does, it's it's in the safety code. You can't do spotlighting. It's it's considered inadequate for safe operation at night. But <clears throat> there's nothing specifically that said we could not do light towers. But we needed to get approval that, w- that was accepted and okay to do. Um, and so once we did, we thought, okay, we need to see exactly what kind of level of interest there is in doing it. And, you know, once we found that there was enough interest, it, you know, it worked out well. And what was surprising to us is um, there were really no safety issues. I was concerned, you know, will pilots fly a little too close to themselves doing it? But um, in the end, they didn't. And they actually policed themselves very well. I mean, we we didn't have to keep anybody officially in charge. I mean, we we just kind of found who was seeming like they were going to stay there for a while every night. We just said, hey, when people are done, lights off, towers down, and and everybody seemed to follow suit and do as we asked. And that was a big help because, yep. you know, finding somebody to volunteer to stay out there till one o'clock every night was not going to happen. Nope. They just, uh, they just, they just grabbed Mike's, uh, I mean, uh, Rob's uh, megaphone and started passing it around. All right. Who's next? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That was good. Wow. Well, you got a hold of that thing. Well. So, I mean, we already, uh, as, as we were leaving Muncie on Monday, um, I reserved the towers for this year. So they're already, they're already set for coming this year, too. Nice. Oh, yeah, people can be excited for that. <clears throat> you know, something else, I don't know if you guys noticed this, and we're not sure how many people out there noticed it, but because we were going to have the F3N, uh, one round of F3N on Site 4 at Center Stage, we had drawn the F3N safety lines. Yes, noticed it. And I don't know if you realize this, but all of the pilots actually paid attention to those, even though they may not have realized they were paying attention to the F3N safety lines. Yeah, we had we had and the net also had a side benefit that we did not expect was going to happen. I don't know if you guys remember over the last however many years you've been coming, but every time we have demos or displays going on at center stage, we have crowd creep. Yeah, everyone starts scooting up and up and up. And the corners going closer and closer and they go over the safety line all the time. Yep. Well, a side effect of having that safety net was that people actually adhered to a you know an imaginary line all the way down center stage so we didn't have crowd creep this year and we didn't expect that it was a positive benefit from having the net there at center stage you're probably dealing with just the fact that there was like a, a visible structure that kind of gave people an idea whereas a line folks just tend to ignore those yeah <laughs> line, what line i didn't see no line and we weren't yeah. we weren't sure how that net would really incorporate into the field um because it was kind of a last-minute decision that AMA staff could install some places to put some poles up and you know establish. I kind of liked it. It meant my stuff wasn't going to get chewed up by a flying heli. Yeah, I, <laughs> I liked it. You know, to the imaginary line, uh, Unger and crew at Nats last year set up a line slightly off off camber from the actual farm uh, crops, and everyone, even up to Dwight, was like, "Yeah." Flying a straight line when we're canted off from that line is difficult. So it was. <laughs> I would agree that uh, you know, it's it's interesting the little things you can do to impact human behavior. Yeah, and you know, moving uh, like I said, we tried a lot of new things this year, and you know, moving all the food vendors to center stage 
we weren't sure how that would work out, but it ended up working out very well and having tables there for people to sit down and eat. So it, you know, made it easier for people to grab food and find a place to sit and eat. Um, we, we liked that. That worked out really well. One thing that we did not think ahead of time on <laughs> was know what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah. Additional, additional toilets. Yep. By bringing all it. of the food vendors to center stage, we, we <laughs> also brought most of the, uh, the residual effect of the food at center stage. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, we we did have a, quite a few complaints on the on the porta pots last year, and uh, we actually had more than in years past, but less people, um, not very many less people, but a little bit. Uh, but bringing it all to the center, kind of, yeah, yeah. Everybody was looking at the ones in the center. Yeah, I, I went in one on Sunday morning just to get a, a gauge myself. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I said, geez. oh hell no, I can't <laughs> see that. I, I know in years past. Before all the food was center stage, yeah. Saturday night after dark, when when the when the drawing had when the when the when the drawings had started and everything, that was you know the center stage became bad for Portageon. So uh-huh. it doesn't surprise me that you know bringing activity center you know consolidated that that activity. Um, so yeah, looking this, forward to next year. This is a, a little gross, but I, the one that I went into. It was above the seat, and I'm not even sure how you could have. <laughs> That's impressive. I, I don't. I don't know how. Was somebody it filled up that high? Was there yeah. one on the seat? It was toilet paper. You no, were it seeing. Was, no, it was. It was like a teepee above. You know, it was like a pyramid coming yeah. above. I, I was like, I would have opened the door and I would have gone to the corn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dropped it. Dropped and dropped and recorn. Fertilizer. Yeah, but somebody was determined. I, they went, I'm here. I'm going to use that right now. Cherry <laughs> on top. But so, so oh, we come on. <laughs> oh, that's just wrong. But we, we did learn a lesson on that one. So we now know to having food in the center means we need to double up toilets in the center now, too. Um, double row. Yeah. So we figured that one out. But um, in general, the layout, I mean, Dan did a great job changing the layout at center stage and fitting everything in and AMA worked with him on putting some special power adapters so he could fit all the restaurant people right there. Cause some, they all have various power needs and, and Dan managed to, you know, arrange the guys so that they got exactly the power they needed on the spot they were going to be on. Nice. Yeah. It worked out well. I was a little stressed there for a bit, but, uh, yeah, he yeah, was sweating but, bullets for a little while when we were trying to figure out how are we going to get 50 amp here, 30 amp there, another 50 amp there. I need what? I need 1.21 gigawatts. Right yeah, here. yeah. <laughs> we we got lucky, and uh, the AMA the AMA staff that's there to help us out, and then they went to town and made some special harnesses for him, and it wow. was it was good to go. And those are some other volunteer some guys. I mean, they're 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 paid while they're there, but man, they go far and above doing things for us while we're there. I mean, we we love Josh and his crew at AMA. They are just fantastic um, everybody at ama i mean it's it's kind of like a coming home for us every year when we get there i mean we you know we love everybody at the ama facility they're fantastic to work with they come out and hang out with us and it's yeah, um, I, I agree I remember when those signs blew down uh this last year and uh they came out to help put them back up i believe yep yeah i don't know a storm that came through <laughs> yeah I, I was standing there looking at those signs like we're not ever going to get these pushed back up. And these guys just started grabbing stuff and banging on them and putting them back up. Wow. So. Yeah. And you know, we, over the years we have people say, Oh, why don't you have Urchis somewhere else? You know, have it at, at one of the other big facilities in the U S and we were like, you know what? There is no way we could get the support and everything that goes on 
at any other place in the world besides the DNA facility. It just wouldn't happen. I, I can't remember how many countries we have had representative in the past, but I mean, we, we, we always have, you know, people from Asia and Europe and, um, you know, the Middle East. I mean, literally we have people from all over the world on a regular basis. And yeah. it's just amazing at the number of acquaintances and friends that I have because of this hobby that truly are all over the world. And until this hobby, I wouldn't have known any of those people. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, to occasionally get a text or a phone call from somebody in, you know, Germany or Japan. My wife was like, who's calling you from Japan? <laughs> in the hobby. I mean, it's just, our hobby is a, a great place to meet people. And because of the common interests that we have, we just, you know, you become acquainted with these people all over the world. And we have a common thing to talk about. And that, you know, then leads you to the other common things you have in life. And so that's just a great part of it. Sure is. And events like this are the are the most important part of keeping the hobby going. I mean, you know, we need one central place each year where everybody can come together and see the new products, talk to companies that might not be in the U.S., and, you know, just get together and have a great time. Yeah, get amped up for buying that new heli, too, so that the companies <laughs> want to keep coming. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's it's the excitement of seeing customers that drives companies to, you know, invent and make new products. And without that face-to-face -face experience, you know, a lot of development might be lost. So, I mean, we would love to figure out new things to add on to the Jamboree each year, but, you know, you work with a time schedule and it's hard to figure out sometimes what to add in that's new. So, um, it's a big facility, but there's, you know, you kind of get to a point where you can only do so much with the time and everything that's going going on. Right. So here's a question that no one, you know, we actually have the first chance to actually ask. The RC Heli Nation podcast had talked about them leaving the AMA facility on Sunday and the fact that they got they got pulled over by by Urcha and AMA. Oh yeah, we're all watching. Oh yeah. So can I have the other side of that story? I didn't wait a long time too. So so this was one of the first years that there was big concern about what the FAA might do to regulate the hobby industry. Yep. And they were watching things supposedly that were going on within the hobby and people that were, you know, flying beyond line of sight or without line of sight, you know, and so forth. And so there was concern. So it was on Sunday. We were sitting under the tents, and we got everything wrapped up. It was the, the end of our wrap-up on Sunday, and it was myself, Dave Milner, um, uh, Craig was still there, Monty Brock was still there. Dan, were you there with us that day? I, I was there. We watched the Dan whole thing. There. And then Bob Brown and Dave Mathewson, we were having a, an official kind of AMA discussion about the whole thing, about people flying in safely and doing, thing, doing things foolishly. And how that was what actually endangered the hobby itself. And uh, right about that moment, as we had just stopped talking about people doing things stupid and flying a bit irresponsibly, there comes an RV right up slowly, and flying behind it is a drone. He's in the front seat in the passenger side with his goggles on, flying it behind them as they're driving out they're doing they're doing a third person view driving yeah yeah and and i think i can't remember if it was 
Bob Brown and Dave Matthewson said, uh, you guys need to stop that right now. Mm-hmm. And so we made them stop and get out of the car. And we said, hello, gentlemen. We'd like for you to meet Bob Brown and Dave Matthewson, <laughs> both of AMA. And uh, what you're doing is wrong and you shouldn't be doing it. And so, yeah, that's exactly how it happened. It just, it just coincidentally, they were doing it right as we were sitting there meeting and talking with Bob Brown and Dave Matthewson about it. Oh man. And we something about, about, uh, uh, was Dan and it was Dan in his powered chair, uh, behind it as well. I believe Uh, he was, I don't remember that part. I just remember somebody, you know, he's flying up in the front, um, with was in the passenger seat while they're in the car. (laughs) that's not not the worst part of this that was just a minor little thing i mean we told him hey you're not supposed to be doing this you know especially in front of people who run the facility kind of thing (laughs) what was what was worse is i'm as we're leaving the facility i'm getting ready to drive out i'm coming up around the edge and i see them parked there and i was going to stop telling you hey you know it wasn't that big of a deal just you shouldn't do it when people are going to see you doing it like that and right at that moment, two of them come out of the back of the RV wearing nothing but underwear and capes. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm not really sure what I've driven up on here. I'm not stopping. <laughs> don't really. No, I, I stopped. <laughs> I said, oh, God. I really don't want to know. Just wanted to tell you, not a big deal with us back there. Just, you know. Be responsible when you're flying. Stranger danger. Go about your underwear and capes now, and I'm on my way. I can envision this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh underwear boy. and capes. I still okay. don't this don't know what the underwear and capes was doing, but, you know, two two men in a cornfield and underwear and capes can not, got, not go anywhere good. The, uh... I who they the, was, too. The video, uh, they, they always... They, they said that the video would come out one day and never never saw a video. They never did, Calling yeah. out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The video, I don't, I don't know that there was any video other than them stopping and landing. I mean, it wasn't any, it wasn't a big deal. They just happened to be flying right by us right at the moment we were meeting with Dave and Bob. Yeah, it's kind of like when you're a young kid and it's the first time you start saying swear words in front of your parents. Oh yeah, it could be. <laughs> Nothing good's about to happen right then. Well, you know, we we'll tell people occasionally when we have to call them, you know, call them down for doing something foolish. Look, listen, we know everybody does things foolishly. It's just a part of being human. But you try not to do it in front of the people who you're not supposed to be doing it in front of. <laughs> they don't know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but no, it, it was funny. But the, like I said, the funniest part was pulling up to say bye to them and seeing them in capes and stuff. And that just. <laughs> nice. Like, hey. Not sure what this is. Well, uh, any one uh, of you guys want to give a great crash story and we can close this thing off? I cut a 40% airplane in half. Woo! Yeah, I keep hearing about this one. I want to hear <laughs> oh, this. No, 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 no. I'm good. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> he's got me all excited then, so now I got to like fill it in. I hit a porta yeah, potty yeah. with a glider one time with something oh, that's in pretty it. good. Yeah. Oh, wow. nice bonus and round. It was actually somebody that's fairly well known in the hobby. Um, we were all flying uh, out in uh, Southern California at uh, where um, it was Steve Mathis. I don't know if you guys remember Fat Boy. Uh, I know the name, but yeah, yeah. Name's just familiar. he was he was in the 
in the shitter doing his bit, doing his thing. And, uh, my dad was going to throw this electric sailplane for me that I was going to fly. And, um, I had just switched radios, um, and I had not checked the flight controls and I was like checking them to make sure all the servos were going the right direction and the throttle was backwards. And so I had it like at full and then I pulled it to idle and reversed it with it all turned on and everything. And, um, he was holding it and he thought when I ran the motor up that I wanted him to throw it. So <sighs> he threw it. And so I was just like, oh, well, I guess I'll just fly it off. And I went to like full throttle and pulled up and it uh, was already going up a little bit. And then it just nosedived because the elevator was backwards and it went right into the porta potty while he was in there. Dude, nice. <laughs> it was pretty epic. Yeah. And I was probably uh, like, going on here? like 14 or 15 at the time. And so, Run! Um, it, yeah, it was pretty. Uh, I want to know about this 40% plane. I do too. Well, I mean, it's not that pee. impressive of a crash, actually. I, you cut a plane in half, Charlie. Yeah, it's good. well, 40%er. <laughs> so, so, at the time, the club that I was flying at was not super heli friendly. <laughs> um, so, uh, as you can imagine, this did not make it even more heli friendly. Oh, this is it. So, wait, this wasn't your plane? No, no, no. It wasn't my plane. Oh, that's better. Great. No. So, I was, I had not had a chance to fly in a while, and um, I'd always told the other guys that were flying at the time, I said, we should always be, go together in pairs. That way, there, you know, anything goes on, there's two of us there. And a buddy of mine was supposed to meet me at the field that day to fly, and I was there waiting, called him, then her back. Finally, he said, oh, yeah, I'm not going to be coming today. So, I, I waited. I was like, I was dying to fly. And um, there were probably probably eight or nine, maybe ten guys from the club that were there that day flying, and it was it was all of the giant scale, big you know three D gas guys. And I had waited till every single one of them had flown that day. I wanted to be polite and make sure I didn't interfere with anybody in the air. And um, I go to take off, and I, this was a Logo five hundred that I was going to fly that day. And so I, I go to take off, and, you know, five-minute flight on that logo. Couldn't have been in the air that long. While I'm in the air, one of the uh, giant skill guys rushes to get his gas plane up in the air. And he takes it off, and he hovers right in front of me. And then he comes up, and he's flying up where I am. And so I come down lower, so I'm not in the same pattern. And I'm just, at this point, I'm just flying racetracks. I'm just making circles, and, you know, nothing big. I didn't want to be accused of, you know, hogging the air or anything. So I'm just flying racetrack patterns. And where I'm at low, he comes down low. And if I went up high, he was, he'd come up high again. So I just was kept doing my pattern where I was. Next thing I know, he had, he was ahead of me. He did a quick snap and pulled into a hover dead in front of me. Oh, no. It was split second. There was nothing I could do. And I hit him right behind the turtle deck. And the front of his plane flew up and the tail flew down. That's amazing. I bet the noise was glorious. It was a, and it was, I could, you know, how your mind sees things in slow motion when something like that happens? Yeah. My little logo literally dug into the turtle deck and ended up going around it. (laughs) And (laughs) was going back the other direction. I mean, that. That little slogan was giving it all it could. And it ended up going back out the other way. Wow. The irony is, you know, everybody knows that the original logo frames were not the most sturdy. Didn't hold up well to crashes. Um, those frames didn't break. 
Nice. <laughs> it, it ate through that plane, and all that I'm all that I messed up on that heli was um, the blades and um, the battery because the battery flew out. Wow. But uh, it was it was not pretty. <laughs> it did not end well for anyone that day. <laughs> but uh, I, I wasn't the most popular for a while, and they I think they instituted a rule that was jokingly called the uh, Anderson rule. <laughs> for the record though that guy was asking for it well you know but see here's the thing i was the only heli guy there that day so it was really just my word against him and the other airplane guys yeah. but you know i have to look at it from the basics i mean it was an electric machine a five minute flight i had waited like 45 minutes for guys to fly and uh nobody was in the air nobody was starting up to go up so already up yeah um, i was already up he could have waited Three minutes and I'd have been done. But um, so, nonetheless, it was not a good day. I mean, he lost the plane and I lost a little bit of a heli. And not the frames, though. Not the frames. And you know, it's <laughs> funny. I, I sent an email to Inga at, at the time with uh, Mikado when her and Ralph were still together. I sent an email and I said, "You're not going to believe what happened." I said, <laughs> "I said, I said, my logo ate through a big plane and." I didn't break the frames. I said, I think I probably need to replace the main shaft and spindle just in case. She said, Oh, that is incredible. I will send you a main shaft and spindle. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, it was interesting. Never thought that that would have happened. I mean, it literally, like I said, you could see it in slow motion in my head. I, the heli as it hit behind the turtle deck, the blades dug in and it just curved its way around the other side of the airplane. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, I felt bad for the guy, but I, yeah, I didn't think it was my fault. It was just, it, it was inevitable the way he was flying, going where I was going, that something might happen, I guess. So there's a flight pattern for a reason. You both were flying in that pattern. He decided to pull up. You can't just stop. Yeah. Well, and I remember yeah. the funniest thing that I, I had that was asked of me when that happened was he, he said, you've been flying helis for a while. How did you not know where I was? I remember that word for word because it was the strangest thing I think to have asked me. And I said, I knew where my heli was. <laughs> I said, that's what I was flying. I said, when you pulled up in front of me at the last second, I, there was nowhere for me to go. You were there and I was there at the same time. So, wow. That's a stupid question. It didn't seem like the best question in the world yeah. at the time to me, <clears throat> but you know, he was probably frustrated and yeah, uh, but I, I called as it happened. I called my buddy who lived close and I, I said, uh, you might want to come out to the field pretty quick. And if my body goes missing, it's somewhere on the landfill. <laughs> I can so, understand someone get upset for that, but yeah, two two Something. two people two people to make sure the plane guys don't attack you. That's a rough club. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but you know the irony is is that that's the same club that I fly out now that I fly at now, and the people over the years changed incredibly. Um, you know the 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 environment that was kind of anti helicopter. Most of those people have left the club or are you know, no longer flying in general. And the people that are there at that club now have a completely different way of looking at the other aspects of the hobby. They want everybody to be there and have fun. I mean, they encourage, we've got some kids who fly uh, FPV stuff, some really young kids that are, you know, in high school. They encourage those guys to be there. Actually, one of the kids is now, he's the club historian. But the the leaders of the club really encourage everybody to be a part of the club now. And it's, it's amazing how the environment of the club completely changed. Um, 
the whole outlook has changed. The, the club is great to do things with. I mean, I like going up there and hanging out with the guys. And it's funny because it's the age range of the club is about the same as it was, but the mentality completely changed. Yeah. They're accepting and they want people to come in. And these guys that are, are with the club that I'm in now, they love to have events. I mean, they have events all year long. They believe that it's important to do events uh, for both the club and the community. And it's uh, we did that little amazing. practice day out there, and that was that was awesome. It seemed like everyone really wanted you know uh, every all of us to be there, if you will. You know, yeah, yeah, they they were and they are. I mean, it like I said, it is incredible knowing what we had as helicopter pilots previously as to what we have now. I mean, it's just it's a great group of guys to fly with. And, and I'm, you know, I'm really happy to be a member of the club up there now, but awesome. as far as crazy crashes, that was, well, that was my craziest crash. So Wes gave us a crash. Charles gave us a crash. <laughs> oh, you're looking for one for me. Yeah. I, you know, I'm probably the most embarrassing crash I ever had as I was at a family reunion. And, uh, I was, I went there on the way back from a flying event. So my pickup was loaded with my helicopters and stuff. And uh, the place we're at was, uh, there was an area about the size of a football field. And one of my cousins wanted me to, wanted to see me fly. So like, yeah, I got the little Align 500. There's plenty of room to fly that. So, but, but yeah, so I have a take up, takeoff move that I generally do where I punch out pretty hard, get some nice altitude and then pull back extremely hard and come back down fast. Um, and, uh, I punch out and it takes off, you know, a little line 500 is pretty light. They move pretty quick and, uh, get to the top where I hit the, hit the elevator to bring it back down real fast. And, uh, uh, control, uh, the link, the head link, the, just a ball <laughs> link. Yeah. The ball link on the, uh, the blade grip link. That's what I was trying to think of. Uh-huh. Uh, blade, blade grip link broke and, uh, it very quickly turned the entire helicopter into a, a chicken dance up in the air. Um, <laughs> oh. And there's probably 30 of my family members that don't often get to see me fly watching. And it just came down just a ball. That was probably the most embarrassing crash I had. But luckily, it was a line 500. It cost me about 100 bucks to fix. But Nice. Yeah. Oh, I have another one that's actually interesting. You just made me think of that one. I was flying in Huntsville. It was a, it was the Sunday at the end of a, the Huntsville Heli Flyers event years ago i still had a raptor 50 and i had been doing autos all that summer and i i literally flipped throttle hole to do an auto and my helicopter exploded (laughs) (laughs) what literally it looked like i had it rigged with explosives i hit throttle hold and the entire thing blew up yeah (laughs) frames head everything troy troy blackwell was flying a miniature aircraft um um, it was not, it's not a Fury, but it was the next generation that came out after the Fury. Tempest um, or the, no, not Tempest. the Tempest. Stratus? Whiplash? Stratus. He had a Stratus. Uh, yeah, Troy Blackwell was flying a Stratus and he had to dodge the parts flying from my helicopter in the air. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Cool trick, man. Oh, we, we never figured, there was no way to figure out what had happened because the only pieces of that helicopter that were left were the pieces that had zip ties on them holding it together. What 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 flight mode switch was that, Charles? It was just thro- literally throttle hold. I hit throttle hold. Oh, hold self-destruct. What is it? Yeah, that was the self-destruct switch. <laughs> hey, you want to see some really cool? Watch this. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yeah, right. But 
but I just remember Troy, what the hell? <laughs> there's just pieces flying out everywhere and he's trying to, to just dodge them. I've got a, a good crash story from a helicopter. I uh, crashed the Synergy N9 prototype uh, when it was when it was first just complete prototype. I think they had two or three of them. And, uh, and you killed it. I did. They're like, uh, you want to try flying it? Because everyone was getting a pull on it. And I'm like, hell yeah, I want to fly it. So um, I came in and I just did like a baby auto with it because I you know, didn't want to tear it up. And uh, when I did the baby auto, I busted the skids off of it. And then I came back out of and like brought it back into the air. And I said, all right, here, you take it and crash it to Krauss. And uh, Todd's like, no, you just crash it. We want to see what happens when a regular person crashes it. (laughs) Smash it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It it didn't. It just tore up the blades pretty much when it touched down and um, scratched them real bad, but chipped them. But the most incredible crash I think I've ever seen was this spring at uh, the Huntsville event again. So were, were any of you guys there and saw Nick Maxwell's machine get plowed in? No. you talking so, spring 2017? Yeah, spring 2017. Okay. <clears throat> so Nick, you know, is infamous for being open and free will and letting people fly his machine, whatever. So Nick had his primary F3N competition machine there, and he was flying, and he decided to let a guy fly it. And I don't know if any of you guys have seen Nick's throttle uh, stick, but it is absolutely lit. There's no resistance. It falls. Oh, he was telling me about this. Yeah. So, so Nick let this guy fly it, and there was a bug buzzing the guy's face. And keep in mind, Nick oh, no. did full head speed with I think 16 or 17 degrees of positive pitch. Ooh. And uh, so the guy's flying it, and he's low to the ground. Goes to flick this bug away from his face, and as soon as he lets go, the stick flops straight down. <laughs> <laughs> that machine went into the ground itself. at full head speed, full pitch, 17 degrees. Oh, man. Diablos are built like tanks, but this thing was mangled. <laughs> I mean, wow. it, I'm sure that the university in Huntsville registered something on a Richter scale when it hit. Oh, my God. <laughs> that? I don't know. Wait, you I don't know. Diablo maybe. Bug. I mean, oh my God. Was, we were like, holy crap. I mean, I hadn't seen anything hit that hard in, in a very long time. I mean, it, it was mangled. Just mangled. So, let's. So, you know, one, one good story is uh, I was at the field and my coworker comes out like first time. He's, and I'm showing it to him. I'm like, hey, Mike, go fly. And Mike pulls out, I think it was the 180. The blade 180, and Mike's throwing oh, down yeah. for like 30 seconds, and then he just smashes it in. My it friend's like, quick. is that how every flight goes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. Kinda. And now every time Christian comes out, he's asking, where's Mike? He wants to see one go in. <laughs> oh, that's that's good when you're, the, you're that guy. Yeah, but yeah. The fun thing is, is Mike doesn't crash all that much. Not at all. And Christian understands it, but he's he just likes doing that. What was the other good one? The guy who ran a heli into the roof of the barn. Oh, that's that's top ten in our field for sure. Yeah. So what was that? Before I got in there. That was probably 2013 yeah, spring fling. Yeah. 
2013 spring frame. This guy far left side of our field. Charles, you ever seen pictures of our field? There's a big yeah. metal barn. Yeah, the big metal barn on the far right side, right across the driveway when you come in. Mm-hmm. So this guy's on the far left side of the field. I think it was a T-Rex 550 or something, or 600, no, it right? Was, it was a 700. Was it a 700? Okay, so Big Heli. So Big Heli, and this thing starts carts. It comes ripping across the field, full collective, right? We're like, okay, what's, what's he doing, like a speed run or something? So straight and level, looks fine, and then at the last minute, you're like, wow, he's kind of low. Bam! Ramps this thing off the metal roof. Pieces <laughs> go everywhere, chunks of blade and foam. One of the batteries goes flying out of the front of this thing and lands in the bushes. And we're all just sitting there stunned for like five seconds, like, dude, he left a dent. <laughs> like, there's a dent in that metal roof. And then it occurred to us that, oh, wait, he landed in a field of dry grass. We should probably go make sure he's not going to burn the farm down. Oh, yeah. So we finally we finally had a chance to ask him, like, dude, what were you doing? That was awesome. And he tells us he was, uh, he lost orientation probably like it, uh, a quarter of the way up the field and then just decided to ride it out and bring it back in a nice slow turn. You know, kind of play it off a little bit. And uh, he play, played himself right into the freaking barn is what he did. Uh, <laughs> I had to disable a, uh, a, uh, a 700 size helicopter in less than a second. <sighs> Basically. Go back in the, box. the other yeah. two good ones are airplane crashes where... Oh gosh, those things are, are catastrophic. Well, one of them's Digger, and, and Digger is just great if you ever meet him when it comes to smashing things. It's The reason we actually don't have my favorite tree on the far right side of our field anymore is because he found a way to... Uh, uh, yeah. He, he whelped a $7,000 Viper jet into that tree. That was good. <laughs> you know, Turns out fiberglass burns great. Wow. You know, what allowed... The Jamboree grew crazily in a short period of time. And a lot, of it had, yeah, a lot of it had to do with, with Horizon Hobbies. They, when they released the DX7, the DX7 was what changed the face of events in the U.S., um, now, of course, other companies came along with their 2.4 after that, but that was the transmitter that really changed the face of helicopters. I mean, we went from, you know, a 400-person event with impound probably maxed out at all it could handle to, you know, next year we jumped to 600 and some pilots just in a split second. Yeah. And uh, no worries about impound. Uh, we were the first large event to actually do away with an impound. I think Joe Nall still run an impound for two more years after that, but we – we decided that we had enough pilots that had gone to 2.4 immediately um, that we didn't need to worry about it anymore. And it was strange because that transmitter, um, you would have pilots who were dedicated to JR or Futaba, but they would also own a DX7 so that they could go to an event and not have to worry about impound. But you hmm. could get the modules back then, it's too, kinda, couldn't you? To well, put it you could. Different. You still can. Well, the modules came yeah. later. The modules weren't out right first. I mean, the first the mm. first thing they had was that DX6 something or other, and then but the first real transmitter that Helipilots bought into was the DX7. It's mm. still funny when someone comes to our field and asks if uh, who's got the channel tags. Uh, well, you know, there are guys, I mean, we still have guys around here who, excuse me, will still use uh, 72. If you think about it, there's absolutely nobody on those now. So I mean, yeah. if you've got a transfer, you're good to go. Yeah, yeah I still have planes that have that have 72 megahertz. I still use a pin every once in a while. I fly those planes. Yeah, there's just been people in the field who've basically said, uh, "I'm keeping on a 72 because uh, I don't feel like working on it," and there's no one there, so doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, you know, the only people that we had to worry about for a little while with um, 
with impound at the Chamboree was scale. Mm. Uh, and we didn't do an impound. We just gave them a frequency board and let them control their own frequency board. <laughs> yeah. One, one club I'm a member of for a while had a, uh, had a 7,200 megahertz line that officially put the pilot outside the five mile ring of another flying field because they were, um, yeah, because they were within five miles of another club, but they're a, they a heli only club. Huh. Once they finally all went 2.4, they stopped mowing the 72 line. You know, the first time I ever went to the Jamboree thinking that I would, you know, have great a great time and fly, um, little did I know that when I showed up, the channel that I was on was the exact same channel that Alan Zabo Jr. had. <laughs> so you can imagine nice. how, how often <laughs> you didn't he wasn't fly. flying. No. You didn't get to fly. No reason to. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, 2.4 is... I can't think of much else besides the gyro that's made such an impact on this hobby. You know my only experience with anything that wasn't 2.4 was way back with the 2000 by 3 when I first got into RC stuff and uh, I went to a club race turned my crappy Traxxas radio on turned it off and then 10 minutes later a guy was walking up and down the line asking does anybody have this frequency I just crashed into a wall and yeah, then the I went to 2.4. Who's on my channel bit. Mm-hmm. You know, the funny thing was is that even when, when 2.4 came out, all the guys who were used to blaming things on glitches, they would still blame things on glitches for a long time. Do <laughs> <laughs> you ever notice whenever something crashes, people almost instinctively look at their radio they, like they it has an answer like, for that? Like the radio you let me down. against them, yeah. Yeah. Why did you do this to me? You let me down. Uh, I see the pro- I see the problem. It says three minutes and forty five seconds. Yep, that's the time right there. That's yeah. why I crashed. <laughs> but it was funny uh, just hearing people. Oh man, I had a glitch. I'm like, well, it doesn't work that way anymore. <laughs> Glitches aren't exactly the same as they used to be. Do you guys remember your channels? I was twenty two. Uh, forty one, forty seven. Oh, I don't remember. Mine was low, um, but I don't remember it. <laughs> I'll, I'll call Alan Zabo Jr. and ask him what his was. <laughs> Seventeen, was. maybe. I thought he was a teen. Hey, man, what number was God, it? God, maybe that's what I should ask people instead of how long you've been in the hobbies. What was your channel? What was your channel? If, they, if they name me off, if they name me off a channel, be like, God damn, you're old. Go home. Yeah, yeah. If they say, <laughs> if they say ABC, you know, we're good. Home. Yeah, <laughs> I like ABC. Yeah, if you, yeah, if you know they're uh, real, if they're real, like still new into it, be like, what the hell do you mean by channel? Yeah. Uh, you mean channel one, two, three? No, I mean like radio channel. I know channels for radios and air, but I never used them. I was, I was a surface guy mm-hmm. for mm. pretty much all the time you guys are flying. So, yeah, you know, the, probably the craziest transmitter I ever had that was seventy two was I had a nine Z WC two Futaba. Yeah, <clears throat> that the, was an uh, awesome radio, but it was. It was a nightmare in the program. You could I, change the channel from inside the radio, too. That was Yes. The there awesome, was like a uh, million things you could do. We always joked that there should be a t-shirt that said, I survived the Futaba 9Z University. Mm-hmm. I actually, that was one of my first trans. Was I didn't own it. Uh, a hobby shop, he handed it to me to make work on a 450. And that was one of my first Futabas I ever experienced. It was a great radio. Um it just, you know, it had a lot of it had way more programming features than the average pilot would ever need to use. Yeah. Same I thing with 
the other one I had was like a 12Z right after that. And it was probably the first real generation of the more simplistic Futaba programming. All right, guys. I got to go to bed. I got to work in the morning. Yeah, me too. I got a I got a forty five minute drive home. Oh, to bed. That. <laughs> that sucks. I'm at Rob's house. You guys are an hour ahead of me too. Mm-hmm. Staying up till midnight's not unusual for me. Yeah, yeah I'm just true. glad I don't. Have, I'm just glad I don't have to go to in, in the morning. I'm glad I don't have to wake up at six in the morning tonight, tomorrow. I gotta drive to DC, fifty five miles. Dude, that's uh, gonna be, be a crazy commute in the mornings, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I drive uh, 80 miles to work each way, but uh, yeah, but you live in Arkansas. If there's two people on the true. road. It's a busy day. It is. It is. Until I get to the uh, bridge in Memphis, when I get to cross the Mississippi, you never know what's going to be on the other side. Holy shit! But, I still have I still have the the geography map open. There's been one download in the state of Arkansas. That's which, me. Yeah, which means you've downloaded one episode. No, I've downloaded all three. I've halfway through the second episode on Podbeam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Just your volume every like five seconds. Like, what the hell is going on here? No, he's on episode one. It's not that bad. It's just quiet. It's uh, quiet? It? Really? Yeah, second one. Episode two, which is the one just released this Monday night. I'm yeah, turn, turn your volume down. And then back up. And then back oh. down. I was obnoxious. At one point, I bring out um, the a megaphone. Yes. <laughs> yes, I heard all this. Yes. Yeah. The megaphone. I got, I got I about out a lot the of stuff. where Mike's, Mike's volume quit working. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's about did where I see, had to. Did you see a selfie from the uh, bathroom that he did the rest of the, I the, did the, see the selfie. second recording from? I Tell did, but I did not comment or do the picture. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. There's only been one person who, who who took that bet and drew phallic objects all over Mike. Yeah. Powerline mm. tunicky. I threw it into the. F- I threw it into the heli child. I was like, "Come on, assholes! We got." <laughs> yeah, we had it. a guy at the event uh, a couple weekends ago. He hit a oh, power yeah. line, and the power line and the helicopter oh. lived and landed to wow. talk about. Yeah. Wow. And landed. And all he had. His scratches all over his pipe and the power yeah, line was jumping. All he had was a scuff on the pipe. That was it. And he was pissed at that. Like, dude, you don't realize how lucky you are. Mm-hmm. You got a free helicopter and you don't get to pay Dominion Electric $10,000 to repair a line today. Absolutely. And I think would it's you a be, good day. Would, I, you know, I wonder, would you be charged for damage to the line? Only if they can catch you. Funny story. Uh... Robert and I know of guys who have actually yeah. had to go through this. Yeah, we're talking about it. The, the, uh, you can make payments. Mm-hmm. You're going to get charged for it. And the AMA, apparently, if you're at a non-AMA facility, th- they won't cover that shit. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah, apparently one guy's managed to do it twice. And at this point, he's making payments to the power company. Wow. But yeah, the second time, it wasn't an AMA. And the AMA got the bill. And they're like, oh, shit. That's kind of bad, man. <laughs> we yeah. can't help with all of that. Wow. Don't See, I had a buddy hit a hit a power line with a full scale airplane, Ooh. and he just landed right on the other side of it. Like it didn't like bring the airplane down. He just chopped the power line down, and uh, he just went and pushed the airplane in. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the power company showed up, and they're like, "We don't know what happened." <laughs> There's like three hundred airplanes sitting out there, you know, at this huge event, and. They couldn't figure it out, and they just fixed it and moved on. 
Wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> so basically, if you cut down a power line with your heli, don't tell no one. <laughs> Go home. Walk away. Yeah. <laughs> no one saw Every anything. Yep. Hmm. After you pick up yeah. all your Monaco yeah. shreds. What's the best way to contact Urcha? Probably the best way is through the Urcha website. Um, you can do it through, there's contact links on there for the president, vice president, secretary, and treasurer. Um, or you can also contact us through the Urcha Facebook page. Um, you can, you know, message us through that if you want to. Or you can make a, I guess you can make a post. I'm, I'm not a huge Facebook person, but we try to keep up with that and, you know, try to pay attention you, everybody that's out there that wants to contact us and email us and things like that, you got to remember there's just four of us. Um, we're a really small group of guys. Um, we've we've all got you know lives and families and things like that. So we might not always be instantaneously there, um, but we try to get back to you as quickly as one of us can. Cool. I will give a link to that. Uh, found found what you're talking about. Um, oh, Facebook. Uh, Facebook messages are probably a little better way as we get closer to the Jamboree. Um, all of our emails get pretty flooded that time of year. Um, so the, the, yeah. the Facebook messages seem to pop out a little more, at least to me. Cool. Yeah, they do. Um, but as Dan was saying, things get flooded because what happens is as we get closer, even though we've tried to plan things with companies, all of a sudden companies will have things that they forgot they wanted to do or they need something else and need something extra and have other ideas. So there's a lot of dialogue that happens very quickly as we get closer and closer. So we get slammed um, sometimes as we get the last few weeks there before the Jamboree. And, and we have, you know, a, a lot of stuff to make sure it's going to be on sign. And we have, you know, tents and chairs and tables and food and t-shirts and designs and, you know, lots of things that um, have to happen before we get there. We truly appreciate everything that you know the companies who come and attend do for the event and the hobby in general i completely understand well i'm uh i'm tired guys so that was the interview uh hope you all enjoyed listening to that we're gonna get some closeout topics going here um so first up is upcoming events we are attending uh you know coming yes. up this month in february is the AMA Expo East in New Jersey. East. Looking forward to seeing you guys out there. I know uh, the Urcha Ambassadors, to include myself and a few extra friends, are going to be out there at the Expo. Uh, you know, uh, looking for heli folks, having a fun time. Come out, you know, see us, uh, stop us, say hi, uh, yell at us if you feel that's appropriate, or uh, shake our hands. <laughs> yes. So next on events. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Uh, next on events for so that's it for February events. Uh, after that, early March, we're going to an event in North Carolina, Cabin Fever, uh, and we have the events we're going to and a few events that friends have told us about that we may not be attending, but uh, this should be cool events to check out on our Heli Calendar on our Facebook page on the Telerotor Facebook page. Uh, we updated as uh, we hear stuff. And if you want to get some events updated on there, you want to get them on there, uh, send us a PM or send us personally a PM or email us. And uh, we'll add the information. Um, definitely check it out and provide the information for us instead of making me hunt for it. <laughs> Be a lot easier. Yep. 
Oh, I was saying, and you can hear uh, your the fun play that you, you're hosting or you're going to or that's in your local area here on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. If it's coming up uh, within the month that this podcast is, uh, I'd usually like to try and talk about them. As, uh, getting out to vents is a good thing. Yes. Um, also, we'd all like to give a huge thanks to uh, Charles, Tim, Dan, and Wes for uh, spending time with us in that interview. It was a uh, very long <laughs> recording and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Definitely uh, worth uh, sitting down for that much time and talking to them. Yeah. Uh, most of y'all won't see it, but we had four hours of raw recording. That Yeah, that was insane. Charles has a lot of fun stories. And if you get a chance to talk with him, he's uh, he's a lot of fun and running around. Um you can usually find Dan doing operational stuff at the Jamboree. And, you know, Wes last year was uh, running around getting a lot of the pros lined up in center and uh, myself and eating, uh, uh, doing what was needed. And uh, what else? We also got Tim. Tim uh, usually in the background doing good, fun things. And oh, my gosh. Keeping us on task. <laughs> usually uh, hunting me down and getting us back on task because it's easy to get off task during the Jamboree. I think they did pretty good for uh, 2017. Can't wait to see what 2018 holds. Oh, I'm uh, already got in the calendars. I'd say for those who are looking for Urcha 2018, the dates are published. It's the first week of August. You know, keep a uh, keep an eye out if you're bringing an RV. If it's your first time with an RV, you need to contact AMA to get a place uh, place for your RV. Past that, you know, look out for all the news coming out. Now, what about dates for uh, Nats? Do you have dates for Nats? July dates. So the Nats pilots meeting will happen on Sunday, July 29th, and Nats will officially kick off Monday morning, July 30th, and will end. Yeah, and the and the end of the event is on uh, for most of the rounds is on Wednesday, the first of August this year, and that's also the same day Urcha starts. And I also know for those who are going to fly in F3N. Uh, they are planning to do the music round center stage during one of the days of Urcha. So usually that means one round is delayed and we go fly that center stage. So definitely come out, you know, check it out and everything. It's always good to go to go in a day early so that way you can get the rest you need and also have time to practice and maybe do last second um, <clears throat> uh, and wait into the <clears throat> canopy and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we definitely uh how many do i how much how many bbs do i need i don't know just, just dump it in there okay. all of them um yeah i definitely know that i uh we we made it the thing to go out on the saturday before get there saturday night and have dinner with friends and and then get to bed early <laughs> uh anyone got anything else nah, that's about it for closing honestly i got nothing Shaggy. I'm about to buy some expert mini micro servos. Yeah. Buy another power supply. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you do to a power supply? Uh, this ain't the mean one. This is the lab power supply. It's just boot looping, so it's going to go back to the manufacturer. Oh. I, okay. That's fun. You have a great time, and Thank you. Have a great day, guys. Stay Later. flying. From all of us at Telerotor RC Podcast, thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you on the field. You can find us online on Facebook.com at Telerotor RC Podcast, on Podbeam, search Telerotor, or email us at telerotor at gmail.com. Welcome to the bloopers for this episode. We recommend you listen to them in private as the audio is loud and the subject matter a bit sophomoric. Enjoy.
One more thing. Hey, Charles, smoke weed! <laughs> You're probably going to cut that out. Nah, you leave it. I don't understand your infatuation with weed when all three of us don't smoke a bit of it. Nope. 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 But that it's just fun saying. <laughs> because of what we're going to put Charles through. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, we will, of course, uh, queue up the interview during now. So... I'm going to move on to closeout topics. Yep, go for it. Lag is so unreal. What's that, uh, DePaulo? I'm... I'm... Then go for it. Close it out. Cool. I'm not editing this one. Apparently, that's by, by, by what Rob said. So, go for it! Okay. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> got him. <laughs> even though I know I'm not editing this section, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> well, we got a new, we got a new, we got a new, uh, I got a new mission. Okay. Yes. So. Oh, anything that. Do what? Did you give him a song? No, no, I didn't. But what was the song he had last year? God, it annoyed me. <laughs> yeah, it annoyed me too, but it was on the Urchin playlist, so I went with what, it. What was that song? Paper Planes. Oh, yes. Uh... <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you the music that drives me insane, and my wife listens to it. She likes headbanger ball style music from the 80s. <laughs> 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 you guys can like, use that as a drop in the podcast, right? It, it makes my brain hurt. Yes. Wow. So I guess I'm flying no. to hair metal. <laughs> <laughs>